Welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast, teaching business owners the not-so-secret techniques that took famous businesses from mom-and-pop to major brands. Stephen Semple is a marketing consultant, story collector, and storyteller. I'm Stephen's sidekick and business partner, Dave Young. Before we get into today's episode, a word from our sponsor, which is, well, it's us. But we're highlighting ads we've written and produced for our clients. So here's one of those. License number M15795. I didn't think I'd ever hear the B word come out of the mouth of a fellow Texan. But there it was, just hanging in the air. The caller asked, well, I'm just going to say it. She wanted a bidet. I said, I'll get back to you. I checked with my suppliers. Yep, we can do that. I called her back and booked the job. I'm David Havelka, owner of Royal Plumbing. Turns out, people with bidets are really happy with them. We do all kinds of plumbing. We even handle the B word. Stephen, when I was a kid, there were all kinds of people that were doing contests. Like, you see how many people you can cram into a phone booth? And another one was, how many people can you cram into a Volkswagen Beetle? <laughs> this is back in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> It's like the clown car. Exactly, right? It's like, how many high school kids can we cram into this tiny little car? And then there were people that would, would disassemble them and, and put them back together inside the high school or up on the roof. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and so when you said when you said today you wanted to talk about the story of Volkswagen, I'm like, cool, that, that little car has so many stories. And here's the crazy thing about Volkswagen, about the Beetle. This was a car... That was dreamt up by Adolf Hitler. Okay, yeah. That was promoted by a Jewish advertising agency uh-huh. and adapted by hippies. Yeah. Like, how is that even possible? It's a crazy story. And the other thing that's amazing about the Beatle, the Beatle did something that had never been done before and hasn't been repeated again since, is that it beat the Model T Ford as the most produced car ever. And we think about it as Volkswagen as this big multinational business, but we're going to go right back to the early days because the story of the Beetle, I mean, a movie should be made. In German, it's people's car, people's wagon, right? That's Volks's. Yeah, it's it's the people's car. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. But the whole idea started before World War II. Mm -hmm. And we're going to go really back into those days, even before... It was a car. When you think about this being an icon of the counter culture, it's almost, it's almost unbelievable. So Hitler was a big car buff. He was a really big car buff. And the idea of the Volkswagen was created by Adolf Hitler. And what he saw in Germany at the time, so this is pre-World War II, this is between World War I and World War II, that cars were only for rich people in Germany. And he wanted to make material things available to the everyday person. This was one of his goals. And so before the war, what Hitler saw when he looked to the US is he saw a higher standard of living when he looked at the US. He saw inexpensive consumer items, radios, TVs, refrigerators, cars were owned by regular everyday folks. And he was a big admirer of Henry Ford. That was a mutual relationship, wasn't it? That was a mutual relationship. A lot of people forget that. It was mutual relationship. And in 1927, 80% of all cars owned were owned by Americans. Oh, wow. Okay. 80% of all cars were owned by Americans in 1927. So Hitler wanted a car for the people. That's what he wanted to do. He hired Ferdinand Porsche. Yes, that Porsche. (laughs) 
that guy to design a car, but he wanted something that was affordable and reliable. And so Ferdinand Porsche came up with the design for the Beetle. This is what he created. And Hitler named it Volkswagen, people's car. Mm-hmm. They actually had gone so far as to build a factory to build cars. And it was actually, at the time, the biggest factory in the world, just south of Berlin. The factory is still there today and operational making Volkswagens. Hmm. So production was planned to start in 1939. That was when <laughs> it was planned. And yeah. oops, oops. And there were other things <laughs> happened. A couple of other things happened, including this little thing called World War Two comes marching along. So the war broke out and the factory was immediately switched to the building of weapons. Yeah. Immediately switched to the building of weapons. In fact, slave labor was used to build weapons in this factory. Yeah. And the interesting thing is you can do a tour of that factory today and there's even walls that are still up that show the shrapnel and, and, mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. Following the war, as we all know, there was the Marshall Plan for the rebuilding of Europe. Germany needed to rebuild. And Ivan Hurst was a British officer who was involved in reconstruction, and he dusted off the plans for the Beetle. He saw he came across these plans, dusted them off, and said, "You know what? Germany needs jobs. Germany needs vehicles. In fact, we need vehicles in in Germany to help with the reconstruction efforts." And so Ivan Hurst convinced the Allies, "This is a good idea. Let's make this car." So they started to build the car, and the first twenty thousand vehicles were purchased by the Allied military because they're inexpensive, they were fuel efficient, and they were easy to repair. So we win the war. Our first step is we start buying German cars. Start buying German cars and the reconstruction effort start to, yeah. to make cars. What then ended up happening is regular Germans started buying these cars for the same reasons. Cars were inexpensive, yeah. fuel efficient, easy to repair. Uh-huh. All great things. In the late 1940s, the Allies handed the plant, the plans, everything back over to the German government. Said, here you go. Run with this. So they started to look outside of Germany. And in 1949, they sold the first two Beatles in the United States. So two Beatles got sold into the U.S. market. And through the 1950s, they started to ramp up in sales. And the real appeal was the simplicity and the appearance. It was kind of a fun-looking mm-hmm. little car. Yeah. Here's where my head starts to hurt, <laughs> is in the U.S., the Beatles' success was very much the branding of it and how it became a symbol of the counterculture. And I want you to think about this. This started happening in the 1950s, and the 1950s is only 10 years after the end of the war. So yeah. 10 years before, this was a vehicle of Adolf Hitler being made in a plant that was using concentration camp people to manufacture weapons. Only 10 years before. It wasn't like this is forgotten history. Yeah, yeah. This is recent damn history. What they wanted to do, though, is they wanted to get an ad that created attention. How they create attention for this new little German car. And this is really where the lesson for today sits, is how they got attention. Car ads at the time, Car ads in the 1950s. Oh my gosh, yeah. Were all illustrated. Mm-hmm. They were all paintbrushed. They were all made the cars look longer and wider than in reality. Yeah, you look at those ads, the, the cars felt huge. The cars felt enormous. The people were painted in and made smaller. 
<laughs> and the cars were all set in opulent surroundings. Mm-hmm. They were marketed as a token of success. That's how they were marketed. And all of the American car manufacturers advertised their cars this way. Volkswagen came along and broke every rule in the category. Yeah. They took out a full page article in Life Magazine, full page ad, with a tiny, teeny, tiny little photo. And actually, we'll have examples of these ads in the in the show notes on the website. Tiny photo. So it was a photo, not illustrated. Mm-hmm. Tiny beetle. Most of the ad blank space with the tag line, think small. Right. But it felt small, especially in context. Beside one of those other ads, like it feels small today. And if you looked at it in the context of that, it feels like minuscule. It was so different. It was so shocking. It had never been seen. It felt like something completely else. Yeah. If you go to empirebuildersprogram.com, we'll have examples of those ads there. But it's so nuts and it's so crazy. Have you ever seen the show Mad Men, Dave? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Mad Men's a show about advertising. Ad guys in the uh, 60s. Ad guys in the 60s. What I have to share today is a clip from Mad Men where they actually make fun of the Volkswagen advertisement. I'm going to share this with you. Okay. Remember, think small. It was a half page ad on a full page buy. You could barely see the product. Well, say what you want, love it or hate it. The fact remains, we've been talking about this for the last 15 minutes. Right? That's it, right? (laughs) So it was iconic enough that it's made it into Mad Men. But when they did these ads, they really leaned into it. Even the radio ads, and I've got a couple of radio ads I'm going to share with you of the time, leaned into this idea of small. So here's the radio ads that were running at the time. You've gotten some to get a big, beautiful chariot. But if you simply want to get somewhere, get a bug. Is this a wildly expensive plaything? A toy for the idle rich? No. Just a humble little bug with a new option called the automatic stick shift. Right? So they leaned into this whole idea of being completely, utterly opposite Mm -hmm. to what everyone else was doing and stood out like crazy from this. And and these ads are just really jump off the page. And they were created by Doldane Burnock, DDB, which was, as I said, a Jewish advertising agency promoting Hitler's little car to the counterculture. So there's an Australian saying, and forgive me for, for using this, but they'll look at something like this and say, well, that stands out like dog's balls. And the fact that in that Mad Men clip, you've got Don Draper pointing out to the guy that's complaining about the ad that we've been talking about that ad for 15 minutes. So the key there is that that advertising got people's attention. It got people talking about that car. And for podcast listeners, if you want to go back and listen to the ad that we put at the very beginning of this episode, we we play one of our own client's ads at the beginning of each episode. That's an ad for my client. It took me over a year to get him to record it And we've only had it on the air for one day because he's been afraid of it, but it stands out and it entertains and it's for a boring business. He's a plumber, but he's talking about something that just makes people talk about him. And that's the goal, right? You want people to think about you. You want to shoot for fame, if nothing else. 
right? This car became famous for being different than everything else. Best-selling car of all time. Now, I grew up in a little town in Western Nebraska, 6,000 people that had all the typical car dealers, right? We had Ford, Chevy, Chrysler, Dodge. There were half a dozen individual dealers that didn't have the full line, right? But they were all American-made cars. There was no import place. There was a middle-aged woman that babysat for my sisters and I every now and then. This is when we were, you know, maybe nine or 10 years old. So late 60s, early 70s. She had a bright red Volkswagen Beetle. I don't know where she got it. You couldn't get it in that town. (laughs) Right. She went somewhere else to get it because she right. loved the idea of it. She right. could afford it. It was my very first experience with with a beetle, either riding in it or seeing one. And it's memorable to this day. I remember what it was like to ride in her beetle. She would drop us off at school or do whatever it is running around needed to be done. And it was such a cool, unique little car, but it didn't feel like anything my parents ever had. Right. But the key in all of this, the lesson here is stand out but to stand out you need to be aware of the context of what's going on stay tuned we're going to wrap up this story and tell you how to apply this lesson to your business right after this brought to you by the least full of shit marketers association of america yes that's a low bar but we clear it mightily we're also the largest pay per performance branding group in north america and that part's for reals If you're looking for advertising advice geared towards local owner-operated companies, this is your podcast. And now you can pick the brains of these advertising geniuses over lunch without having to pay for lunch or even leave your office. We're talking 90 minutes of straight answers to all your burning questions about lead generation, customer acquisition, mass media branding, how to get off the paper crack treadmill, anything you want. And the only coin required is candor. Because we can't give no bullshit advice without basing it off no BS data on your company, competitive landscape, operations, and all that jazz. We send you a pre-Zoom questionnaire. You fill it out candidly, and boom, Bob's your uncle. You're in like Flynn, and we'll be frank as fuck in giving you the straight scoop on all the advertising and business growth questions you always wanted to know, but were too afraid to ask. You'll also get our no pitching and no bitching guarantee. No pitching means we won't pitch you or try to sell you in any way. If you want more after 90 minutes, you'll have to ask. And no bitching means if you don't think the meeting was worth your 90 minutes, we'll send you 100 bucks. Consider it us picking up the tab for lunch and putting our money where our mouth is. Sound like a not-so-full-of-shit offer? Well, that is what we're known for. Take us up on it at empirebuildersprogram.com. Let's pick up our story where we left off, and trust me, you haven't missed a thing. To stand out, you need to be aware of the context of what's going on. So a great example is when the pandemic first happened. Everybody was like, due to COVID-19, due to COVID-19, due to... Like, Shut the fuck up. I'm tired of hearing it. Or we're now announcing curbside. So we'll also put an ad in the show notes of an example of how we promoted for a client curbside without talking about curbside. So it sounded different because as soon as everything sounds the same, it's like same, 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 same. And in a great example, tell you a fun story of another client. It's Armadura Metal Roofing. But when they first hired us, they asked us to do a trade show booth for them. And this was one to industry. So it was to the roofing industry. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever gone to an industry trade show booth, the booths are all super colorful. And it was to roofers, 
all pictures of roofs, long lists of features and benefits, bright bowls with when an iPhone, loud, loud, yeah. loud, right? And so basically you feel like you're walking through four hours of advertising when you walk yeah. through one of those trade shows. So they came to us and they said, we want you to do a trade show booth. I said, all right, great. What's the most important thing? And they said, our shingle is so great that if we can get the shingle in the hands of the roofer, they buy it. They love it. I said, great. So success is getting the, in the hands. Okay, great. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a trade show booth, black booth, white lettering, no branding, no pictures, no name, no nothing, single statement. What, and it's a question, what's wrong with this shingle? Mm. They confessed to me later that they were really disappointed because they were expecting something big and bold and colorful and really out there. And we come back with this thing of, oh no, none of that. Fancy font? No, plain font, plain font. It really stood out. And this is what they discovered. They were like, I can't believe how much our little 10 by 10 booth stood out because it had nothing with this intriguing question. People would come up to them and go, well, what's wrong with the shingle? And they would go, I don't know, you tell me. And they'd hand it to them. Boom, it's in their hands. Yeah. Studying it closely and they go, oh, it's a pretty cool shingle. But the point is, one of our problems often, especially when we we're picking billboards and trade show booths and things like that, we look at it on our computer screen. Yeah. Focusing on it, not realizing, well, wait a minute, what is on to the right and what is to the left? That's what I need to stand out from. In Beatles case, what's the Buick ad? What's the Chrysler ad? What's the Ford ad? Oh, wow, they're all doing this? I'm going way over here. So it's about understanding context and pivoting hard against it. Yeah. And being open to the criticism. Because a man, I can tell you, the dealers would have all been saying to them exactly that madman conversation. You're not showing the product. It's so tiny. We're, we're telling people it's tiny. Well, guess what? It's tiny. Yeah. Own it. Embrace mm-hmm. it. Love it. Going back to Volkswagen, the easiest thing in the world would have been for a German factory to say, oh, well, let's build 57 Chevys. Right. That seems to be pretty right. popular. Right. Let's do um, what everybody else is doing. Let's follow the leader. Our constant theme in this podcast is don't follow the leader, do something different. And then guess what? You become the leader, which they did. They crushed a record that none of these car companies, including Ford itself, had ever been able to repeat. And they did it with the Beetle. Yeah. Hitler's car with a Jewish advertising agency (laughs) accepted by the counterculture. It's crazy. So uh, the ad tag, think small. Think small wasn't the secret. It was it was think different. It was be different. And Prove small different. happened to be that big differentiator because everybody else was making their stuff, as you said, artificially large. They were owning, they owned large. So Beetle went, let's own small. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please share us, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and leave us a big, fat, juicy five-star rating and review at Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to schedule your own 90-minute Empire Building session, You can do it at empirebuildingprogram.com.